Hi, I'm Kyra Kellowan, an international educator with experience of careers and college counselling in schools and universities across four countries. You're listening to The Piloted Podcast, a show about innovation in education for teachers, parents and students. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of The Piloted. This week I met Kevin Simpson. He's the founder of ALOC, the Association of the International Educators and Leaders of Colour. They are devoted to amplifying the work of their educators and leaders in international schools who are of colour, and they have a focus on advocacy, learning and research, working with thousands of schools, organisations, educators and leaders worldwide in over 20 countries. Kevin is an entrepreneur, he's an educator whose work came into my frame of reference earlier this year when a friend introduced me to the ALOC group. Looking back at his past, he launched KDSL Global, which is his education consulting company, in 2016. It works in the US and in the UAE, where Kevin's first overseas posting was. Since 2008, Kevin's been focused on education in the Middle East North Africa region, and he's assisted lots of schools with accreditation, training, development, and thought leadership more generally, advising schools on startup projects. As the co-founder of the UAE Learning Network, he has also focused on co-authoring papers on the American curriculum in the Middle East and North African region, and he's an expert on Common Core state standards. He's also the first piloted guest to give us any form of spoken word poetry during an interview, and I was delighted to be able to talk to him from his current location in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. So, as with all my guests on the piloted, I ask about your professional journey to this point. So, for most people, that's a long and winding road. You can start with your educational journey if you want, or you can start with your teaching journey, wherever it feels right for you to start. Ooh, and it has been, like I said, here, long and windy um, and ever-changing, you know. I definitely feel like the one thing that stands out is the one term that I would say that jumps out is being flexible. <laughs> that flexibility that we often hear that as educators we need to be, never knowing what's going to happen. I always like to start with that I'm a kid from Flint, Michigan. So that's, you know, where it began in terms of learning family growing up and schooling wise going from an all predominantly black school um, in Beecher school district for my early years having black teachers k-3 to into transitioning to a new schooling institution that was predominantly white mm-hmm. in fourth grade and I always you know wonder like why is it always fourth grade with me. It's something about fourth graders, that nine and 10 year old. And I was reflecting recently and I just, for me, I remembered that that's when a lot of stuff just happened. That was the first time that, you know, I was called a racial slur. That was a big transition move-wise for family into a new community. You were still in still Michigan? Still in Michigan. Okay. Yeah, still in Michigan. And so when I think of the four professional, thinking of learning first, I think mm-hmm. all of those different experiences really impact and stay with you. And then matriculating through, you know, on through middle school, high school, where all these schools sort of merge together as one. And I think that... That really, again, that shapes the me today. Because when I think about where I live, where I travel, sort of what I do, it's constantly wanting to be in places and situations that challenge me, sort of push my thinking, are distinct, are unique, just because of the interactions I had growing up. So yeah, that's when I think the learning, before we jump into the PL of it, the professional learning side of things. 
teaching actually was not in education was not my first career choice. Really? What was your first career choice? I love stories like this. Oh yeah. I was ready to challenge and conquer the world. I wanted to be an attorney pre-law all the way, (laughs) you know? And so when it got time, you know, it was time for undergrad and at Michigan State University, just finding a place and space where have those experiences to prep you for law school. So I went to, it was a college in the college called James Madison College at Michigan State. So it was like the pre-law government, politics, policy folks who were all assembled together. And I had an experience my second year at university where I was working with a program called the Young Spartan Program. And their big thing was bringing the university resources into the local community in Lansing, Michigan. So I worked at an elementary school as a coordinator and Dr. Elizabeth Turpin, and she was um, just a stellar leader um, in the community, in the school. And I remember, you know, her saying, oh, we want you to start some clubs, math, and these different things. And I just enjoyed it so thoroughly. And the students' reactions, response to what we were setting up. I was bringing friends over to volunteer. I was really talking with teachers and, you know, again, making sure that what they need and what they saw was built into the program. What age were the kids? They were first to fifth grade. So it was like an elementary school. Mm -hmm. I worked sometimes with kindergarten, but most of the time it was with like first to fourth grade. And then... I took the plunge. I'd heard Michigan State's College of Education was very hard to get into. That's mm-hmm. all everyone said. It's hard. It's difficult. People leave, go to other universities if they don't get in. Like, that's what I heard. So I said, let me apply. I'm like, I'm having these good experiences. I can double major. Yeah, I could do this mm-hmm. policy thing. And, <laughs> and, and, and you could be a, t- a teaching attorney. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I apply. I got in. And ended up, you know, graduating from the College of Education, going back to my hometown, Flint, Michigan, doing my, what we call, we were Flint turns, so doing my teaching internship for a year. And that was like, sort of like the start of the, that professional learning journey in yeah. education. You know, fast forward, whew, 20 plus years later, <laughs> still in it, just with a, a different twist. I recently had a chance to share sort of my story and journey on a couple of webinars and I decided to do it more in a spoken word piece um, in terms nice. of the, my introduction that, into the international education. Yeah. That is something we have not had. So you, if you want to take it away, you can. I'll, you know what? I'll give, I'll give a little bit of a, you know, a hint of, of what I wrote. And I'm going to actually, um, when I say publish it, I'm going to put it on the blog soon. So I'll put it out. So I won't read the entire piece because it's sort of lengthy, but it sort of chronicles from the start. So when I first, and it's anything from like people to places to messages to just things that I encountered over the last 15 years mm-hmm. in international education. So I'll give a little, a little piece, a little, a little piece of it. It's called Oh Say Can We See. Oh Say Can We See. In 2000, I would meet a man who looked like me. He shared that he would journey back to London after the summer. I thought and wondered, who is he? How was that possible? A lunch led to my destiny five years later. It was added on my to-do one-day list. I'll fast forward a little bit more. Then it says, in the year of yes, we can, I would enter a land of opportunity. Wasn't that supposed to be America? I found life and made a plan in the desert. So that's a little, you know, a little excerpt of uh, what I've That's amazing. So, so I'm guessing you left in election year then. That was your first posting overseas. 
actually, uh, no, it was the first time was 2005. Okay. Yeah. So, oh wait, I left again. Yeah. Yeah. So I was sort of left, came back, left, came back, you know. A common story. Yeah. I love that. Well, yeah. thank you for doing the first ever spoken word piece on hey, hey, <laughs> for hey. us. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And today, um, it just, again, it morphed from international schools into setting up an education company in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, into, you know, sort of now virtually managing that and returning back to the classroom while setting up what is still now an affinity group called the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color, which is sort of where everything is now. Yes, <laughs> so, that's, yeah. that's how we met. That's how I that's came how to know met. about you and your work. And that yeah. I hope that membership of that group has mushroomed over the last few yeah. weeks. But it was a group that was given to me by a friend who I really respect and value everything he shows me, right? And it was like, yeah. how did I not know? Why did I not think that this was a thing? And that in itself is worrying and telling. So tell us a bit about, if you, if you can, like what was the moment when you realized you needed to set up this group? What was the moment when you realized that this had, no one else had done this and that it needed to be done? It's so vivid. Again, I think back to experiences, you know, going back to that grade four experience, I was with a colleague and she was reflecting on her um, experience. She had a recent experience where she was told, don't apply for that. You know, they're looking for somebody specific. Oh, well, they're looking for a British man for that role. And I'm like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. someone told you that, you know, and I just literally had to pause like, you know, who said that when, and a big piece of it was, I was a reference for her, you know? So yeah. again, it was like me sort of checking in, how's it going, you know, with applications and being told that and then thinking through, and I'm like, I have told and shared some of these sort of international school leadership pathways with people. So they're benefiting financially off of people who I've said, hey, check this out, research this, look at this, or I'm a part of this program. Mm-hmm. And right there, I literally, what? Like, like, how do you report that? Who do you, you know, who do you go to? Who's going right. to advocate for you? I mean, I right. think that was the big thing. And that turned into March. That was, I think it happened around like late, late to mid, mid, late February. And March 2017, I set up the Affinity Group on Facebook and mm-hmm. called it the International Educators and Leaders of Color. And that was like the premise. It was all based on, look, one of our colleagues, this has happened to her. It's not acceptable. You know, we need to be speaking up and speaking out on this stuff. You know, how do we create a community where we share opportunities? Because at that point I was looking at, there are issues in leadership. Who gets to lead? And early on I was looking at, starting to look at the data, specifically around like the U.S. schools overseas, State Department schools, who's in leadership positions? What's the history of leadership? When you look at the faces, Who's promoted? Sort of what is the what does that system look like? Who's included? Who's not included mm-hmm. um, in those conversations? And and then that just sort of morphed. And I again just sort of left it there. And as I saw people, heard people's stories, invited them to here's a space, here's a place. You know, let them know. Look, it's an affinity group, which I've told people it will stay because a lot of people want to get in now. And I'm like, still an affinity group. That Facebook group will stay as is. Memberships open to whoever for ALOC. Yeah. You know, anyone wants to join schools, businesses, individuals. And I think it was it was more than a call to action. Again, it was like, what what am I committed to doing? How will I serve? You know, and how will I make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else? 
And when they do, how can we as an international education community come together, you know, around them? And I think it was knowing that if she was told that and what I know about her expertise and background, who else is out there? Who else has been told that? Who else has been thrown this roadblock and this verbal barrier to moving forward on a pathway to leadership, moving forward on something they want to do? And, you know, for me, it was that commitment to, no, it's no, committed. When that happens, and I've always told the group, if you're not comfortable, you feel like your job's in jeopardy, bring it to us. We will say something, you know, we won't even say your name if you don't want to, but, you know, we will speak up for you. We will advocate for you. For us, it was it was enough. There's, there's no way that should be happening based on what we know and based on what international schools say, you know, about themselves and their values and their visions visions and missions. I have a couple of questions. One is how did we get to 2017 before this group existed? The other question is about, was it a Pandora's box that you opened then? Was it just like a heavy rainstorm of people joining and giving you their personal professional slights that they had experienced? Yeah, definitely. I think that that comes out partially in, you know, the oral histories where we sit down with folks and we did one with you. Thank you again. Um, And just get their stories. Let them sit, you know, for a bit of time and and share. And, you know, they get to enter in wherever they want to and whatever kind of story. I think it's that. And then again, with a lot of DMs, a lot of private messages, a lot of can we talk, can we chat? Mm -hmm. That's been happening over the years where people are comfortable and they know, like, look, it's confidential. This is between you and I. I'm not going and running anywhere to say anything. Because again, people, especially in this space, haven't felt comfortable either going to the leadership and saying something or going to the school counselor saying something. Mm. So it's like, who do I have to talk to in this space? Part of our group also was making sure we know about resources like Liberate Men and Ayana. So we're thinking about us as the whole international educator, you Mm -hmm. know, leader of color, like making sure that those resources are there when we need them. There are a lot of people in our space that are walking around or that have experienced some pretty traumatic verbal comments, treatment, and they're strong, but, you know, racial battle fatigue is real, you know, in terms of how much can you actually withstand. And I think that's why at times I know I've seen and heard people say, I'm going back home. I need to press reset. You know, I've had enough of these statements, these assumptions, this treatment, not being listened to, you know, not being included, you know, Mm -hmm. like I actually belong in this this space. And like you say, it's so so at odds with what our arm of the industry says it is aligned with, says it is its core mission, vision on any international school's website, on any promotional materials, they will talk about global understanding, creating intercultural Mm -hmm. networks, creating their students are are supposed to be exposed to diversity Mm -hmm. by default. This is what families are paying for. So are you comfortable with talking about any of your own experiences or relaying to, you know, so that people listening might be able to identify, I think, with some of the things that your members have felt Definitely. I think it's it goes back to the anything from, you know, that will pull off your photos from CVs and you no longer will no longer post around being a native English speaker. But a lot of what, you know, I heard and was shared were things around passports. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not from the right country. They only want, you know, US, UK, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, that's on the list. I've heard people say, Oh, my accent. And I'm like, 
accent. We all have accent, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And is that feedback they were given verbally, like after interviews? Yeah. Either that or my pre-interview during our interview. And that'll go back to that native speaker. You Mm -hmm. know, we wanted a native speaker. It's been anything to, oh, we don't, we don't usually hire black people. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. Mm-hmm. in your face or to anything such as, oh, I didn't expect you. Part of my story, I put in this whole thing of, oh, we were expecting an old white man, <laughs> you know, when I arrived at a school. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that, you know, anything from like, well, who's who's going to be there? Who's part of this? You know, again, it's, it's a lot of those subtle comments, questions, or, oh, mm-hmm. you, you speak so well. Like, where'd you learn this? Where'd you go to school? Again, this whole, it's questioning of me and questioning of what I can do, what I know, and questioning others. And a lot of it is the at-face value. At times, it's not looking at a CV. I haven't even engaged with talking to a reference. But it's being judged based on someone's own inferiority, basically. Someone's coming along, not looking like the group, yeah. And so then it's going to challenge or accepting that I've heard this recently. How do we deal and bring parents in? Because there's that element of, I don't want my child with that teacher, <laughs> which I yeah, have heard about before in times, or you pick which teacher you want for your kid. And that's why I say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a community thing. It's all of us. It's all of us. It's all of our job to speak up about it. But, you know, something that chimed with me, having spoken to Lawrence Alexander a couple of episodes mm-hmm. back, and I keep bringing him into my conversations now because yeah. he said so many things that chimed or that just framed it in a way which I think turns things on their head. And he said, it's not, you know, racism is not the problem of the people of color in the room. It's the majority's problem. You know, we didn't create racism. We don't instigate it. So it's right. your job as the majority to sort this out, just as it's my job as the dominant majority in most workplaces as a male mm-hmm. to sort out sexism and discrimination against women. My you know, privilege there is that I should also work on this. And I think yeah. I keep referring to that because it's stuck with me. It's such a great way of just yep. saying how that one is going on. Uh, it's, a, it's a collective that we all have privilege. You know, I remember reading yes. this article from one of our members on being overseas, being Black female, and her privilege, you know, in the midst of this. And it is, it's acknowledging where's your privilege when it comes to race, class, ethnicity, sexual orientation that we all have in some way, shape or form. So like you're saying, acknowledging my maleness and my male privilege Mm -hmm. and ensuring that I am making, I'm being an advocate and a co-conspirator with females and speaking up on, you know, when issues and topics and things come up. Because that's something I think too, it's like, it's it's literally going to take all of us. You know, it literally is going to take all of us. I mean, at the end of it, the the people that will not benefit, the kids are the people who don't get to, who who suffer from this lack of diversity, who suffer from this, this like mixed messaging, because we know, I mean, you, you will have seen figures on the forecasted recruitment of international teachers that's needed to fulfill the global need worldwide with all of the Mm -hmm. international schools that are being created at the moment and all of the ones in plan. There's something like a shortage of almost a million teachers. So this forecast says we need a wider, more diverse workforce of people who truly represent all corners of the globe, if that's what we're aiming to teach our young people about. If I had to ask you for like a call to action or a a change that you think is the first one that needs to happen, what do you think 
we need to start with? What's the most urgent need for you in terms of the change that's required in the international education sector? Ooh, that's a big old question. And there is, when I say there's so, the dialogue right now, there's so much of that going on. I honestly feel like the start is with the individual. And I really feel like it is that self-check, that self-awareness, looking at myself, reflecting on the work, reflecting on my community, you know, reflecting on who am I listening to? What am I reading? How is that impacting what I say, what I do? So I definitely feel like it's, it starts with the individual first. You can, you can look simultaneously at myself and my household and sort of look out in your space, but definitely doing that work first. What I'm hearing folks say is like, we have to interrogate ourselves, mm-hmm. ask ourselves. We have to go into our own stories, yes. you know, our own stories of why, why this school, why this position, why this country? You know, what was my early experience with race? What was my early experience with gender? What were some of those messages that I was directly and indirectly told that still play into or that still are a part of who I am today? What have I learned? What do I, what did I not learn? What do I need to unlearn? Mm -hmm. So again, I think it's a lot of that interrogation of self. And I think that's the thing that for me that I've really been conscious of, you know, in terms of like, where am I at with this? Where were those moments where I did speak up? Where were, where were those moments where I didn't speak up? Because there are those two and should have. And saying that this work is, it's messy. And I honestly don't feel like there's a coming up with like a list that we can do one, two, three, four, you know, voila, everything is solved and we are all together. I'm like, mm, no, because everyone's entering in in different places and spaces. And I think it is, you know, how are we listening fully? How are we leaning in? Are we able to show up? Are we allowing people to show up and be themselves? You know, because I know people who, when they come out and voice their opinion and voice their experience, and it's in an I format because it's something that's personal that's happened to them, others shudder. And again, I'm not here for shuddering. It's like, how are we making sure that they're able to get what they need to out and that we're all, we're really truly listening to each other? Because I hear often, you know, we need to do better. Okay. We need to do better. Like, give me something concrete. I need to know exactly what that's going to look like, sound like, feel like, you know, do better. And I constantly have heard that over the years, especially in this space. Do we need to do better? Show me that policy that we're going to be reviewing this policy and we're going to make sure we're instituting the following. We're going to look at the data when it comes to who gets to lead at these schools. And this is what we're going to do and invest in to ensure that it reflects our, the global majority. You know, so again, it's not just to do better. Everybody can say, I, we need to do better. It's <laughs> what are you actually going to do? We saw a lot of schools and organizations saying Black Lives Matter, hashtag BLM. And again, it's beyond that. It's, you know, Thank you for that. As a young lady, I forget her name, but she's saying, thank you for your statement. Now show me your leadership team and your board. Mm-hmm. You know, and what, like, what are we actually going to do <laughs> to shift and transition? And that's the big thing. It's not just a, you know, a statement. It's not a call. I think for, that's why for us, we're saying it's a commitment. What's your commitment to action? What are you committed to doing? And that's going to get into your identity. And that's going to get into going back to like, your vision says this, you say this is what you believe in value. And you said that. So how, how committed are you in investing to the time and energy and the, the resources? I think one thing that might be shifting or changing right now is that in the past, 
maybe it was enough for a leadership team to say, we need to be better, we need to do better. But now I feel like the collective consciousness is working towards being much more, let's see the accountability, let's see the results. Mm -hmm. And I feel that this change happening within not just the educator body, but also within the parent body at schools is going to be a huge driver for change, which is what I hope for. Have you seen any really good examples? Have you seen any really hopeful stories that have given you some things to, to be proud about that you've seen happening in the educator network? Definitely. I think there's so much to be proud about. I was just reflecting, like getting up this morning, I wake up every day and it's like, people say, how are you feeling? And it's like, hopeful. You know, I feel like for me, it's hopeful. And I think it was going from that, you know, sort of seeing like this small sort of cadre of people sort of questioning and calling in to now seeing like letters, seeing alumni. There's a new thing that's recent. It's called Black and International Schools on Instagram. Again, seeing stories being shared. And most of them are anonymous, but again, they're sharing their experiences with staff, with schools, seeing just numerous letters, seeing um, Joel, who's a member who did a petition for accreditation to say, again, we need to do better. How are we going to adopt a world and policy and practice around anti-racism, diversity, equity, inclusion, and adjust, you know, shifting to in that into that space? It's, you know, decolonization of the IB. You know, those young ladies are on fire. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to them a couple of weeks ago. And again, it's pretty massive now in terms of like, again, teachers, schools, alumni, especially alumni. Noticing a lot of the voices of alumni coming up and saying, again, this was my experience. Where's our school? What are we doing? And really holding whoever is at those specific international schools that they may have, you know, went to accountable. And again, saying that we need you to speak up. Because that was my big thing. It's like, you, how can you not speak up? You know, knowing what we know about international education, knowing what we know when it comes to inter- interactions, when it comes to the youth who are there, the parents who are there, the staff who are there. Even if they were not there, even if that's a majority whatever school, still, how can you not speak up and say something? Going back to those vision, you know, that vision, mission, and those values. So you can't say we want our youth to go confidently into the world and be a part of a global marketplace or a part of a international and be intercultural with not saying something. You with know, no grounding, with no basis in how to base. address your own biases. Right. And that's why I kept saying, I said, look, the youth, if the teachers in the schools aren't talking about it, trust me, the youth are talking about it. You mm-hmm. know, we started, um, one of the, the youth, he's out of North Carolina, Blaine, he, um, we, we host a couple of talks with youth of just around like restarting school. And so he reached out and said, hey, we want to do some more talks. And it literally is, they have space. Adults are invited, but we listen. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they they put out there. They hosted one on race in in the States recently, and they're talking about one on LBGTQ plus coming up tomorrow. And again, it's like, are schools allowing space? Are they allowing clubs and organizations to form that would keep this work going. And again, it's more than just let's put a committee together, you know, or let's go and read something. Again, action. And I get it that, that we, you know, we need to come back and reflect and see and hear from and get the voices from parents and, and scholars and from our teaching staff and alumni and everyone. But I think for us, it was, we're not going to wait till September and October. <laughs> you know, I'm like, so that's why for, with us and with Tie Online, we're like, 
we want to host these discussions and these webinars and, and this stuff now. Like this needs to be talked about and it needs to be ongoing. You know, keeping that conversation, keeping that discussion and keeping amplifying the work and the stories. So tell us a little bit about your own school. I would love to think your school you can hold up as a benchmark. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to say anything and it's okay if you don't. But what I'm trying to get is an example of a school that's yeah. doing really good, that's doing it really right. This, this school I'm at now, it's um, International Baccalaureate. So it's an IB school. Mm-hmm. They do primary years program, PYP. And so this year I had the opportunity for the last five months to serve grade four, writing through the lens of social justice. So nice. bringing in topics from homework in the United Arab Emirates to homework in their context to bullying coming through from a, a youth in Australia to Australia fires to Black Lives Matter uh, Action Week in the U.S. to, I mean, you name it, we did it. It was mm-hmm. literally to bring them in to seeing things that were on Twitter, on social media and getting their response and their reaction. And again, the big thing was like, what is this teaching us about others? And reflecting on their experiences. And then what would you do? You know, going back to that, it was that ABC show with um, <laughs> the man where he puts people in those different scenarios. What would mm-hmm. you do, mm-hmm. you know, in this case? And as we close off the year, because Armar Arbery, you know, that, that came out in the media in terms of what happened to him. And for me, Black man, runner, used to run more avid than I am nowadays about it you know Mm -hmm. it hit home it was like how do I go into this space feeling heavy and feeling like I gotta I gotta talk and they know me they know they the scholars all knew about ALOC you know they they knew that Mr. S is working on you know how do we end racism in international education they knew the work I'm always (laughs) very transparent in terms of you know things that I'm working on and so Mm -hmm. then I posted a picture because we would start with like a, a free write. And I posted a picture and it said, had a picture of a youth and he had a poster said, I am not a threat. And that's where we, we started our free write. And I just let them write. And I mean, and they all, they always blew my mind away when they came to their responses and their questions. But I remember one just saying that they talked about protesting and having your voice. And some of them, they knew what was going on. Because again, like I always say, they're talking, they're, they're hearing, they're listening, they know. Of you know, course, the news is always about. on in the background, they know. You know, they really were like, because I remember one of the youths saying, you're the first, you know, you're the first guy, the first guy teacher I've had. And then someone said, you're the first black male teacher I've had, you know, I remember them saying that. And so for them, it was just like, why would people think that someone would be a threat because of their skin color? And then I'm drawn to like, some of them who recently emailed and sent a message and said, how are you doing? Because we know what you know you're working on. Are you on, at the protest? You know, yeah. be safe. Like they sent me a message. I sent like a little summer note. And they're like, be safe and send some questions and things. Why, you know, why would this happen? And so oh, nine that's and 10. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Every educator knows that kids, they know what's going on around us. And they yeah. pick up on how you are. And they care about you. Yeah. <laughs> and they want to yeah. see that you're okay. So... How could you not share? How could you not explain to them yeah. what's going on in your life? And I mean, this is, is it a very international population at that school? It's not. It's mostly um, local. So they're from around Dallas and uh, the area. Majority black and brown kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's totally the entire system is IB. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, you're they're getting exposure to more than yep. global issues through 
the work you're doing with them. Yeah. 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 So I think that's the thing I think around like curriculum because so many people at times I hear that, oh, you know, the curriculum, I have to do this. And I'm like, the, the curriculum didn't tell me to do that. I'm like, I have the wherewithal. I'm like social justice standards, teaching tolerance, that's accessible and free. And so again, that was one of my first things when I looked and see what they were doing with writing. I'm like, to me, it's like, it's big parts. I'm going to look and see how can those be embedded within how can you know the poetry the visuals from those sites that teach you know just justice and equitable topics and so from read alouds to everything i'm gonna be intentional with building that in in terms of them and exposing them to people who don't look like them people who do look like them i think it's on the educator in our role to ensure you know especially when it comes to the do scholars see themselves in curriculum? Because again, a, a big piece is the educator. So to make sure that they have experiences, they have exposure, and they see all kinds of people, hear all kinds of stories. Again, everything in the classroom is always a resource anyway. You know, So it's like, those are resources. So how can I embed and make sure that they are honored and they are put at the forefront of the curriculum? We went online. I was on a webinar, the group from DC, and they, they're talking about, have you asked your students what they feel like they need to learn or what they want to learn between now and the end of the year. And I put that on our scholars and asked them that. And also asked them, who do you want to hear from? And that's how we weaved, that's how we formed the rest of the year. You know, they wanted to hear from doctors. I had Dr. Thomas Butler, one of my good buddies in Pennsylvania, that chimed in. They want to hear from lawyers. Kim Richardson, lawyer, works with the government. She chimed in. They want to hear from gamers. I had a youth who had a, a uncle who works in the gaming industry. So again, it was like weaving that in, in addition to people from around the world who chimed in from Singapore, Nigeria, you know, to share their stories and their work. That's amazing. And did you... Do you ever feel like you had that freedom or would have had that freedom before in any other school setting you've been in? Or was that purely because of the online model that you had to follow? Yeah, I think it was definitely the online model because I knew hearing stories, like hearing, you know, some of the stories of the online and how it was going for some people. I'm like, I've always been a non-traditional type of teacher and guy. So I'm like, I don't want kids to not be, you know, I don't want to turn them off to school. I don't want to be I'm going to sit online and talk to them. You know, I'm not going to do a lecture. And so it was like, how do you engage? You know, I'm like, how do you engage them? So we did games. We did hangout sessions. We had um, virtual dance parties. You know, we did, because we did like a lesson each week. So that was like the, you know, record a lesson. Yeah. They had access to it. Um, But I did one-on-ones, like book in time, one-on-one with Mr. S, you know, just to chat, kick it, whatever it is you need. And then we had like our office hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and we did, like I said, we did like our free rights and stuff, but it was, for me, it was like, really, like, how do we listen to them fully and make sure that what they want to see, what they value and what they want to hear, who they want to hear from is built into that. So that, there was definitely that freedom element, you know. I bet a lot of them loved it and we'll have a hard time going back to sharing you with the rest of the class. <laughs> <laughs> when I say I want to loop, but no one's <laughs> So I usually ask about values, but I feel like yours are so clear. I don't really need to ask you, but maybe let's ask about the values in ALOC and what the work of ALOC aims to do next. Does ALOC have a mission statement? And if so, what is the next big goal? Our big, big, big push and big thinking is around being devoted to amplifying the work of international educators and leaders of color, opportunities to learn from others, learning from people who look like us, people who don't look like us. Because again, that was an issue that would come up quite often. And like, look, 
it's constantly the same people speaking or everyone looks the same, but we're saying it's global. And research, there's not a lot of information out there on, mm-hmm. on us. And, I, and I've gotten that a lot of times. People who are doing research on, I'm looking specifically on third culture kids, TCK, who are you know, Latinx. So I'm looking for this, trying to research and find stuff. It's just been, you. it's hard to, that's our big thing. It's like starting to put out surveys to gather data, gather evidence, get stories um, through the oral history. How do you capture that, all that information so that that next generation sees and hears and knows that, yes, we are here. Because I know so often people go to websites and they're like, yeah, I was interested in that, but I went on the website and it doesn't yeah. look like I would fit in there, you know, right. everyone looks a certain way. So that's a good um, point. Cause you mentioned that you, you know, you only knew about the scope of international teaching at all from hearing about a friend. So yeah, how, exactly. how do you plan or what's the, what's the, what's the plan to help promote this as a, as an option Yeah, for more, definitely. more young teachers who are just kind of looking out at the world, wondering what they should be doing. And I think that's the thing too. I think we were, thinking and dreaming about how do you make that more accessible? And I think part of it is linking in with youth groups, any groups that are doing things from like grow your own to um, groups that are focused again on like diversity within like teaching things around like retaining educators. When you see groups that are like, you know, teachers are getting burned out and are looking for other options. I feel like, again, at times, For me, it was reading policy that made me say, it's time. It's time to look at education somewhere else, take a pause on the U.S. And that's when I entered in and went overseas in 05. And it is, I think it's it's that constant word of mouth. It's people who know, you know, who know people, people who see and, and make it aware. And that's why I think for us, it's open to people who are interested in international education. So even the group, you know, and beyond that to say majority of the people are working globally somewhere in the world. But then there's also this group who are like, I'm thinking about it or I've heard about it or I have family or friends who did it. So let me really learn more about, could this be something that, you know, I'm potentially interested in? And then I know you also asked the question about, you know, we're, we're really looking at now in terms of like, where do we see, you know, this work and what do we want to see? I think the big thing, especially like now is, Adopting anti-racism in terms of like policies and procedures that are going forward, schools, associations, organizations, and all that being very, being very intentional about that, that these conversations, again, are not short term, that is ongoing work that is devoted within these organizations. It's looking on a leadership side again. I would like to see your leadership team and your, your board, your board of trustees, and take an onus and seeing when it comes to recruitment practices. Again, we've been putting out who leads. So how are we being more intentional with our recruitment? Yeah. And not only recruitment, and I was talking to colleagues most recently at a school where a lot of the folks of color have been ushered out. How are we retaining and developing folks? Because again, it's not just bringing people in. A lot of international schools have did that, but mm-hmm. do they stay? Why are people leaving? Mm-hmm. You know, and I always say those exit interviews only tell you so much. Most of the time, I know me, if I'm sending an exit interview with somebody who could potentially have an impact on my future, I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm going right. to tell you something, but it might not be truly reflective of why I'm leaving. So I think that's the big thing. It's like, especially on that leadership side, and again, continue to be a voice and advocating for folks. And I think, going come back to it, the learning. I think it's, again, it's all about our learning, you know, individually, collectively. 
I'd love to know who inspires you, who you have learned from in this work, and maybe who some of your mentors are. What keeps you getting up and being happy in the morning? I definitely you know, have to give a shout out to Larissa. So a few months ago, I was sort of at that point. I feel like you have those days or those weeks when it's just like, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Especially part of the spoken word piece I put in silence three times. And when I say it, I say silence, silence, silence. And it gets sort of quiet. And there's a reason behind because at times I felt like it's, you're talking, you're speaking, you're putting out sort of a, a call to action. That's why I say it's bigger than a call to action. What are you committed to? For orgs and groups to look at themselves and to, to engage in a conversation, but there's no response. Mm-hmm. And so shout out to Larissa because Larissa is was an international school leader, sort of teacher, different places around the world, based in Germany now. And we reconnected and she told me about this group and they met lunchtime every Wednesday. And it was comprised of different folks from mostly U.S. who were doing work around diversity, equity, inclusion at Mm -hmm. different schools. And so she told me about it. I got, you know, sort of invited in and just listening to stories and listening to others, sort of where they're at, where their work was at, listening to celebrations, listening to challenges. It really has been that sort of go-to and that, again, that sounding board. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm frustrated and it was facilitated by, I make sure I give her a shout out, Advancing Educators, Elizabeth, who's over that. But it really, for me, it allowed that space and that yeah. time to unpack, you know, things that were going on. And sort of in the midst of that, that's when, you know, we did the I Am Not a Virus. Yes. Um, again, sort of putting out there, like, I'm like, we have members who are saying that this is happening to them. I'm like, we can't stay, to stay silent again. It's to be like, okay. So and that's, you know, when we put that out there and um, in the midst of that. And just being around others who encouraged you to like, do it, you know, go. It's like, you know, going through that whole, is the time right? Are we the ones to do this? You know what I mean? Because again, you sort of go through that book. Is the time right? How, how are others going to? But, you know, I think the more, especially in that group, I learned to, no, you got you to gotta step up. You got to say something. You got to speak up. You know, mm-hmm. that's the right thing to do. People's humanity and dignity are at stake with these things. So definitely her. Big shout out to Bernard West. He and his family are in uh, Dubai. He works, he's, he's, I call him, he's very quiet, but he works behind the scenes, does a lot in uh, international education. I was introduced to him some while ago, has probably over a decade ago now. But again, he's a great guy from Baltimore, Maryland, from the U.S., uh, he and his family based overseas, just sharing resources, questions to think about, sort of challenging my thinking, just highly respect just that relationship. And then the last one, probably my mom, I just feel like the sacrifices that were made early on for me in life from going to these summer camps at colleges and universities and not knowing anything from like law, literature to STEM and, you know, engineering back in the day to sending me in a taxi every day to go to a college bound program because she had to get up early for like her first shift. So I just think of a lot of what she put in and, just messages and put in, it just, just still is there. And just, it's just, and just being very supportive. When I called and said, 
I'm no longer going to be necessarily pre-law. <laughs> adding an education. I bet she's you super know. proud. I bet she's super proud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that comes across from talking to you is just how community focused you are. I don't know so many attorneys that could unite communities in the same way as you, you do. You clearly do as an educator. And I think it has to be said, thank you for the, all of the work that you're doing, which is no doubt exhausting. No doubt makes you feel like some days, you know, you're carrying the weight of the world. But I know so many educators as well as people that I've added to the group too, who have benefited from being a part of this very supportive community and have found resources that really chimed, really helped, helped them explain things to people when they felt tired of having to explain it all themselves. The work has to continue, it must. And for any listener who's thinking, I want to join or I want to help, uh, what are the best ways to interact with you? Where should they go apart from the Facebook group? The Facebook group stays, you know, we talk about this too. It stays an affinity group. That's the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color. So affinity meaning if you're a Black, Indigenous, or person of color in the international education space or interested, join us. And then the website, they can hop on www.aielloc.org to learn more about what we're doing. Check out our International Educator Equity Statement, which we put out in March Check out, you know, what we believe around diversity, equity, inclusion. We have an upcoming conference. Very excited. Oh, where will that be? Oh, yeah. So it's coming 14th, 15th November. It's online. It's free. The entire international education community is invited. All levels, you know, from early years all the way up to higher ed. Very excited because, you know, we're doing invites. So we're we're excited to, for folks who are going to be coming and facilitating and but yeah, again, it's it's inviting us all in, you know, to have uh, these learning opportunities in an ongoing manner. And we continue to do webinars with Thai online. There'll be some that will be posted for July. So, well, thank you for all the thank you for everything you you're doing. Thank you for all the energy you spend on this, and no doubt you are enriching the lives of those kids that you work with every day on a daily basis. Not to mention all of the kids who benefit from the staff that they will they are yet to meet who you will have helped retain or hire in some way. (laughs) Thank you. One of the biggest takeaways from speaking to Kevin for me was his tireless commitment to the various communities he is serving, starting with the community of his fourth grade classroom and ensuring their exposure to global reference points, global news, and to be able to engage with others who look like them and don't look like them and then broadening out to his ALOC work to elevate and amplify voices of leaders of colour, specifically certain groups such as female leaders of colour, it's clear that Kevin is committed to being a beacon of service for lots and lots of different audiences. In many ways, ALOC's work is just beginning to be seen and noticed by those educators who were not already part of the affinity group. That's also part of the issue. If, as an educator, I was not taking the time to understand that this group needed to exist back in 2017, then I was also not paying attention to my own privileges. I'm a person of mixed heritage, although I can pass for white. I have a British passport, and as far as I know, I've never been overlooked in the international school community for my perceived ethnicity. However, I'm aware that that means that I have lived an entirely privileged experience within our sector. And knowing that the more visible minorities experience the gamut from microaggressions about being well-spoken, all the way through to blatant, obvious discrimination. I'm acutely aware that those of us who have not experienced this have a duty to call it out 
and to support our colleagues who do have to live it. As Kevin said, it's everyone's work to do, and it starts with the individual first. Talking to Kevin and engaging with ALOC has broadened my perspective and reaffirmed a commitment to the self-inquiry, learning and unlearning that he spoke about. If you've been undertaking similar work, I encourage you to follow ALOC on Twitter, follow Kevin at GlobalKDSL, and you can also join the ALOC group on Facebook if you identify as an educator of colour. And even if you don't, then there is a fantastic list of ways in which you can lead for change in your own organisations on the ALOC website, starting with the investigation of school or university policies, the use of mentoring or investment in professional development of staff, as well as the creation of leadership pipelines with meaning. In episode 12, we are sticking with the diversity themes that have been surfacing throughout this series. I'll be talking to Hannah Wilson, an independent consultant and facilitator who specializes in leadership training and development. Hannah was one of the founding members of the Women in Education leadership movement, Women Ed, in the UK. She has coached for the Department for Education, Women Leading in Education Initiative, and she's an advocate for flexible working, specializing in diversity, inclusion and equality, professional development, early career teachers, mental health and well-being. And as you'll see, they're all incredibly connected in her mind. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time. You can stay up to date on PilotEd by following us on Instagram and Facebook at The Piloted Podcast, or you can say hi on Twitter, just at The Piloted. Thanks for tuning in.